0: Hello and welcome to Fatal films a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts,
1: Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this week's episode, we will be talking about the 1963 film The Haunted, based on the novel by Shirley Jackson and directed by Robert Wise. This movie starred Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Russ Tamblyn, and Richard. want to caution
0: you that this episode is full of spoilers plot details and twists and turns and mysteries will be solved through this podcast so if you care about that go watch
1: the movie or read the book and come back we'll be waiting this episode also features trigger warnings for depression anxiety ghosts ghoulies and things that go bump in the night hill house has a reputation for evil the mysterious new england mansion has been the scene of grisly murders but when four young people spend the night they find themselves trapped by the haunting Anthropologist Dr. John Markway, who seeks to disprove the legends, heir to the mansion Luke Sanderson and psychic Theo, and Eleanor Vance, who has a tenuous hold on sanity, slowly come to realize that the stories are all true. Now scream, no one will hear you. Run, silent footsteps will follow. The dead are restless in Hill House. And one
0: more little warning for everyone out there. Lacey is suffering from that wonderful time of the year
1: called Texas Allergy Season. (coughs) I think this may be slowly manifesting into a cold or possibly a sinus infection. But yeah, bear with me. I sound awful. I
0: don't think so. Your your voice is a little scratchy, so you may not be talking as much.
1: What a tragedy for everyone involved.
0: (laughs) This is a little bit of a departure from our normal thriller because this does edge more into the horror category. Mm -hmm. But we're about to celebrate Halloween, so we decided to celebrate with one of the greatest ghost stories ever written.
1: And I feel fine about including horror because there's actually another movie that recently came out. I won't say the name in case we cover it. That borderlines horror thriller um, that I'd like to cover. So I'm fine with some horror. As long as it's not too violent. I'm not into the super violent stuff.
0: So one of the interesting things that I found out about this is it was only a four-year time difference from when the novel was published to when the movie was made. The book came out in 1959, and the movie premiered in 1963.
1: Yeah, I was actually listening to some commentary on the film, and the director, Robert Wise, was talking about reading the book and how as he was going through... And during the book's more terrifying moments, he would actually find himself jumping or being scared to be alone. And I think he even mentions that his assistant or secretary was reading along with him and they both were scared. So a little bit about the
0: author, Shirley Jackson, because... We
1: we have to talk about her.
0: To me, she's an incredible author. In my feminist book club, we read... We Have Always Lived in the Castle this month for our book. So I've had a very Shirley Jackson month, which has made me extremely happy. But she was an interesting person. She was born in December 1916, and she died in August 1965. She wasn't very old. She was... Almost 50. Yeah, she was 48 when she died. She published six novels, two memoirs, and over 200 short stories. Most people know her for her short story, The Lottery. (gasps) Oh,
1: she read. Wait, she wrote that? She wrote The Lottery. Oh my gosh, thank you for my nightmares. That movie terrified me when I was younger. And so that's what most
0: people know of her, and they haven't heard of the other stuff that she's done, but she is a phenomenal writer. She just creates an atmosphere, and like The Haunting is about 250 pages, and We Have Always Lived in the Castle is... About there to maybe a little over two hundred. Mm-hmm. So there are these really short novels. The atmosphere that she creates, and you start reading them, and you are immediately in the story. Well, and I think
1: because I haven't read her books, but I think it speaks to her as a writer because everything that I've seen of hers, I am so affected by finding out about the lottery Because I really didn't know that watching her, fi- watching the adaptations of her books or her essays on film, create such a disturbing, unsettling feeling that lives with you at least it does for me and I want to attribute that to her writing because I really only feel it with her creations I, I really do because I'm not I'm not a person that seeks out horror or tries to get scared so for me to watch something I almost ha- don't I almost have to not know it's going to be scary at first but her stuff really affects me and it lives it lives in my body and yeah keeps me up at night
0: the Haunting of Hill House, which is the book that The Haunting is based off of, is considered to be one of the best ghost stories ever written. And some authors that, some authors that say that Shirley Jackson was an influence of theirs are Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, Joanne Harris, Richard Matheson. So there's a lot of really big-name people that found a lot of inspiration in her work. It is sad that she died so early because what, what else do you think she
1: might have provided us with? Who knows? I'm sure many more things to keep me up at night.
0: I do think it's interesting that she published six novels, and Jane Austen also published six novels. Ooh. Ooh. And I think Jane Austen died young, too, in her 40s. She
1: did die young, yeah. So that's
0: interesting. Two writers that gave us something that is so ingrained in our culture both died in kind of similar age range and published the same
1: amount of of novels yeah it's almost like the 27 club but a different kind of club but not one you want to be a part of I'm full of great additions to your commentary
0: (laughs) thank you for your insights Lacey oh
1: I have a lot of them today so Dr. John Markway at the beginning of the film as we see the house and it looks really creepy the director Robert Wise decided to shoot the film in black and white so that it would look eerie and scary and the contrast would be really cool so those are the first images you see is this black and white shot of the house and i think there's lightning and other eerie spooky things happening i think shooting it in black and white was a good choice yeah so richard johnson as dr markway is narrating the history of hill house which has been around for about 90 years it is in New England, they shot in, or it's shot in England. The film shot in England for- uh, Tax purposes. Tax, yeah, because they give them more, more money. But it's based in New England. Just a fun fact.
0: I really love the opening credits when they do the haunting. I don't know how they did it, but it's kind of like just a swirly mass and then it forms letters. Yeah, it's
1: like a mist that like comes together and creates the text. Which would be really easy
0: with CGI and stuff nowadays, but I don't know how they did that. And it's really cool.
1: At the time, it probably was painstaking. I'm sure it took a lot of extra time and was at the request of someone in the production company that wanted something super spooky. Hill House was constructed in Massachusetts by a man named Hugh Crane for his new wife. As she was coming home for the first time, moving in, she died in a carriage crash that crashed against a tree as she approached the house for the first time. So she actually never sees the house. She never makes it there. Crane remarries, he has his daughter Abigail, and he remarries, and his second wife dies in the house because she falls down the stairs. And that shot that he got of the wife, because it's from a lower level, so you're kind of looking up at the wife, and you're just looking at her lifeless eyes. Woo!
0: Yeah, that's a very creepy shot. Even
1: now, that's scary to look at. Just a testament to his filmmaking style. So his daughter Abigail lived in the house for the rest of her life. She never moved out of her room, it, which was the nursery. She lived there her entire life to a very old age. There's actually a really cool scene that they do, or it's a cool shot that they do, that it starts off with Abigail as a child and then moves to a middle-aged woman and then to the elderly woman that you then see as Abigail. And the shot, it was they had to get the actors in the same place on the bed the same position on the pillow so that they could then layer the images over each other to create a fading effect so it looked like she was fading from a young age to an older age and then she lived there in her older years she had a companion but one night she was calling her and the way she called her companion was by banging her cane on or K on the wall. Companion was nowhere to be found because she was out getting frisky with her bow on the patio or balcony. And so the woman, Abigail, dies. And so Abigail dies with no one to help her. Already we can see that there's a history forming of a lot of violent, traumatic death in this house. Not a lot of good energy juju happening. The reason that Markway wants to be at this house is because he wishes to report this reported or this paranormal activity at hill house i can't remember his selection process how he talks about the selection process so what he did was he
0: looked through like psychic journals and anything dealing with the paranormal people who were involved in experiments and things and got a list of he made up a list of people and then he weeded out people who had died and then people who clearly seemed like they were false and just looking for like attention or money and then he wrote to the other people that, he see, that seemed were legitimate. We meet the first participant of this study, Eleanor Vance, who is played by Julie Harris, and she is in her sister's apartment where she is living. She pays half of the rent and sleeps on the couch in the living room. She's asking to use the car, which she has half paid for.
1: Oh, another um, traumatic death uh, just to keep in mind at the history of the house. The companion to Abby also killed herself in the house. She hung herself from the spiral staircase. Just wanted to throw that out there. Keep going. And this might be a good time to
0: highlight a, kind of a big difference in the book and the movie, but I think it's a good change in the movie. In the book, there are two sisters, two crane girls. One of them, the older one, lives in the house, and the younger one gets married and goes off. Well, when... They, they fight all their life over the house. And when the older sister dies, she leaves the house to the companion. Well, the younger sister is really upset and takes her to court and sues her. But she loses and the companion gets to keep the house. Well, the companion always said that she snuck into the house at night and stole stuff. Oh. So there was this weird feud thing. Well, after the companion commits suicide because all the people in the town hated her too, because she was an ordinary person who then became the mistress of this great big house. So yes, so the companion, once she commits suicide, the house goes to her cousins, because they're her nearest living relatives, and they decided they were going to move into the house. Well, the younger sister shows up there and is screaming at them and being rude, but they don't really care, so they just have her arrested. Then she never comes back to the house again ah so I think the story that they did in the movie is a lot a
1: lot better more concise it's not so convoluted that feels like it starts to get a little foggy
0: yeah it's it's good in the book oh I'm sure but for film which is a totally different type of thing the story that they wrote for this that also draws parallels to things that will happen later in the story I think makes more sense
1: sometimes getting things a little bit tighter Like you said, more concise works better for film.
0: But there's one interesting thing that happens in this opening scene where we meet Eleanor. She's having a fight with her sister and her brother-in-law because she wants to take the car, which she is half paid for. It really sounds like they're using her. But isn't it the mother's car?
1: Or do they buy I think they bought the car. Oh, okay. I would never buy a car with you. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's okay. I wouldn't either. It just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Yeah, because
1: we would fight over that car. And so
0: they don't want her to take it. And they say really nasty things to her. Like, how do you know, how do we know you'll bring it back in good shape? In the movie, it looks like Eleanor's the older sister. Is that what you got? That Eleanor was the older sister?
1: Yeah, just from looks, I would have said Eleanor would be older. But in the book, Eleanor is the younger sister. Ah, uh, because see, back when the novel was written, younger siblings were in the position I think older siblings sometimes are now. I can see that. Because, like, you're younger, that means you're stupider. So that means the older sister would take advantage of you. And even though that's true, just kidding. But her niece
0: is in the living room with them, and she is saying this, it's not even a rhyme, she's just going, Auntie Nell is blinking, Auntie
1: Nell is blinking. What does that mean? Do her parents tell her, like, oh, when she starts blinking a lot, like, that means she's going to have some kind of episode, or she's going to go into a fit or something? Maybe. I don't know. It's, they never talk about it. They just tell the little girl to
0: stop or I, or maybe Eleanor yells at her to stop, but she's just sitting there just
1: doing that. Does Eleanor blink a lot? Did you notice that? No. I was just wondering maybe if that was like a tick that she has yeah, or something. A tell, like, oh, she's getting upset, so she's blinking what? Yeah. I mean, sometimes people
0: will do that to keep from crying, so that's all that I could think of was that maybe the little girl was teasing her about that she, she thought she was going to cry, but it was like, that's a really weird thing for
1: a kid to make
0: fun of.
1: Yeah, it sounds like she needs some empathy lessons.
0: Eleanor screams at them to get out of her room, and the sister says, young lady, you're in my house, and Eleanor says, well, you're in my bedroom. Get out. That
1: is is how you tell your parents to get out of your room because that's what... Wasn't that always the fight? Like, it's my house. Like, it's my room. Then mom and dad were like, well, guess what? I let you have this room. It never ended well for me. Well, to be fair, Eleanor is paying for that room and
0: you weren't.
1: Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, if she's paying for that room, get the hell out. Bye. Yeah. So she's paying to sleep on the couch. I just love it. She's telling me, get out of my room. (laughs) That never goes away. So
0: they go into their room. I'm guessing it must be like a two-room apartment.
1: Are they in Boston? Yes. Okay, that's what I thought.
0: And Eleanor decides that she is going to take the car, which I'm like, good for you, girl. Go get that car. Yeah. And she does. She gets the car and she heads out on her way to Hill House.
1: Yeah. Because have we mentioned at this point that she knew that she was going to go to Hill House? Because that's why they were having the argument. Because She wanted the car because she wanted to go to Hill House.
0: Right. And they don't know where she's going.
1: Yeah. And so she takes off. She somehow convinces the guy in the garage to give her the car, even though he knows it's her sister's car. She somehow gets the car, she's on her way, and they have no idea where she's going, when she'll be back, or anything, which is kind of hysterical for me.
0: Now this is a point that some people can't really get over. This film uses a lot of voiceover narration.
1: A lot from from Eleanor. Yeah, nobody else has it. It's, it's all Eleanor's thoughts. Do they call her Nell in the movie? They call her Nell. That's what I thought. That's actually something I made a note about. I'm not a fan of voiceover thoughts I I more like to see the thought play out on the actor's face I like to kind of get to guess or have the performance be so good that I know exactly what they're thinking in this case however I like the voiceovers because it had to be filmed and edited in a certain way and obviously she couldn't hear her voiceover while she was filming the scene when she was in the car So when you edit that film together with that audio, her expressions, her eyebrow raises, her, the way she tilts her head perfectly match what she's saying, the thoughts, the emotion, how she's saying it. It's really, if you're going to do a voiceover, that's the masterclass on how to do it.
0: I think it's well done. It doesn't take me out of it at all. And I like being able to have that extra, that deeper level of what's going on with her.
1: Julia Harris had a very deep connection to this role. She really, really had a connection to the film. So much so that it disconnected her from her castmate. I think that really shows in some of these moments, because even in these little things that could have been throwaways for a lot of actors, there's so much in it that you don't question why it's there. At least I don't. And I think that goes back to the fact that Julia Harris, for some reason, this movie hit her in her career at the right time in the right mindset and she was able to kind of give a career-defining role or career-defining performance.
0: Well she's also a stage actor and if y'all don't sense. know already we have a deep love of theater. The I'm not sure if it was the director the casting but somebody important saw her in a play and said she's our Eleanor.
1: I believe Robert Wise saw her.
0: I think so. Yeah. So she has that deeper level of understanding of what to do with the character,
1: And that's not saying that only theater actors can do that. There are plenty of film actors that have never done theater that do very well in film. But because that's such a requirement of theater and stage acting, it really lends itself to a deeper film portrayal or a deeper film performance. So I don't know if this was her first movie. This was not her first film. She had actually done quite a bit of work on TV and film, but I think her stage training definitely shows. So we get to
0: Hill House and we've seen it. We saw it in that opening shot and it's quite an imposing building.
1: Yeah, it's actually... It's an actual mansion in Warwickshire, I believe, in England, that it apparently was actually haunted. Russ Tamblyn, he was um, talking about it in, a, in an interview, and said that there were, there was actually gravestones in a little graveyard on the property, and it talked about the people that had died there, and it was all these really mysterious, random ways... That people went. Oh, wow. So just a little fun fact. Eleanor's the first one to arrive to the house. So Mr. Dudley's at the gate, and he's one of the caretakers. If you've ever seen any kind of adaptation of The Haunting or The Haunting at Hill House, you know about the Dudleys. The Dudleys are the caretakers. There's Mr. Dudley and Mrs. Dudley. So this is where we meet Mr. Dudley. He doesn't want to let her in because the professor isn't there yet, and she's arguing with him. She's like, but I'm expected. I'm supposed to be here because she has a lot of anxiety. And he's also kind of gloating over his power of, oh,
0: I can let you in or I cannot let you in.
1: Yeah, so eventually she gets in. Yeah,
0: he jumps out of the way because he thinks she's going to run him over. Mm -hmm. And she pulls up to the house and is just overwhelmed by this place.
1: Let's just talk about that. Eleanor isn't giving two Fs at this moment because she said F that to the sister and then add that to Mr. Dudley, so she is not to be trifled with. She goes up to the house. Mrs. Dudley opens the door. Who played her? Who I played don't know, her? but she was fantastic. She was so scary, because you could tell she was a, a beautiful woman. Yeah. But the way that they made her up, or how she was dressed, or how she decided to portray the role, she was scary.
0: You know, I just had a thought. I feel like if they had have been filming the Harry Potter movies, she would have played Mrs. Dursley.
1: Ooh... So, she was played by an actress named Rosalie Crutchley. Ooh, nice name. What an awesome name. So, beside the opening scenes, this is the first time that we get to see inside the house. We're seeing it from Eleanor's perspective, and I think she has some voiceovers while she's walking around the house, yes?
0: Definitely, yeah.
1: So, she is, like you said, overcome, overwhelmed by this house. You can also feel that
0: there's something wrong with
1: it. Yes, she, but she's fascinated by it. Yeah. It's a weird push and pull because she knows something's wrong, but yet she's strangely drawn to it. And she's being
0: forceful again. She tells Mrs. Dudley to take her to her room. A
1: couple times. Yeah,
0: it's a it's a command, basically.
1: Yeah, and is this when Mrs. Dudley starts her, her famous saying?
0: She takes her up to the room, and then she starts giving her this speech, which she has obviously practiced and rehearsed.
1: I think because she's maybe going slightly insane. So it's the only thing that grounds her to reality.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure about the Dudleys. Um, I want to call her Dursley now. <laughs> well, the, Dudley, Dudley's second bedroom. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So the Dudleys, I just, I don't know why they work at this place. I don't know what they get out of it. I just, I don't, I don't get them.
1: I think they've worked so long at that house that if you watch the miniseries, or not the miniseries, but the series that's now on Netflix, It talks about the Dudleys a little bit more. And it's a completely different, it's completely different than anything you will have ever seen that's The Haunting. Because it has like the same character names, completely different story. It is nothing like the original story. They have a system that works as long as they stay there when it's light and they leave before dark, they know that they'll be okay. But I still think that some of the house's wrongness has kind of seeped into them. I can see that. Yeah, because they just don't, It's like they've been corroded. They just don't act like... They don't act
0: right. Yeah. Eleanor gets put in the blue room, and Mrs. Dudley gives her her speech about... She does breakfast at this time, and she cleans up, and nobody will come any nearer than town. They can't get anybody else, and no one can hear them in the dark. In the night. In
1: the dark. Because she talks about she'll serve dinner, but she'll clean up the dishes the next morning because she doesn't stay after dark.
0: Eleanor has some more thoughts, and we hear a commotion in the next
1: room, and it's Theodora. But going back just one minute, because I want to talk about the set design, because the director was really, really um, specific about the set design. He said it it was as important as other commonly focused on aspects of the film. And the walls in Eleanor's bedroom have this floral design and white plaster tiles, and it's designed to look kind of rigid and somewhat strained to reflect... Eleanor's nature oh wow and so as we meet the other people it has some I have some information about the other people's rooms because like for Dr. Markway for Theo their bedrooms are kind of designed to reflect something about them anyways talk about Theo
0: Theo is bold and she doesn't stop talking
1: to hear Mrs. Dudley's speech no no she has no time for that she is a bohemian very fashionable. She's kind of dressed in the very trendy, the beatnik style of the 60s. They actually got um, a designer. She was at the height of her popularity at the time. I think her name was Mary Quant? Mary Compt? I can't remember how to say her last name. But she was a very famous designer, and they got her to design, specifically design Theo's wardrobe.
0: I I love Theo. She wears pretty much all black in the movie. Me. But in the book, she wears a lot of bright colors and yellows and things because she wants to be a ray of sunshine
1: i think what they were trying to do because they were trying to make thea this very trendy bohemian character so she wears a lot of black a lot of like you see a lot of bold silver metallic jewelry a lot of bold prints but the base is always black
0: i mean everything that she wears i would wear
1: oh same absolutely it's
0: i love it and her hair
1: if i was going to have to dress in that time period that's how I would dress
0: so I think it's a fantastic costume design for her and it contrasts really well with Eleanor
1: yes because she is very much straight lace kind of dowdy would you say yeah um not I don't think that that's positive or negative it's just it is a contrast because you see a woman that's kind of very vibrant and alive and then Eleanor obviously is not quite as comfortable with herself there's just something that's shut off about her closed off
0: In the book, she talks about how she just on a whim went out and bought a pair of slacks. Pants. But that she didn't think that she would actually have the nerve to wear them. (laughs) And she has a line in the movie that makes very little sense to me, but I really love it because I feel like it gives, I don't know, just kind of an insight into Eleanor. And she says, it's when they first meet Dr. Markoing, and she says, Theo is in Velvet, so I must be Eleanor in Tweet. Why would you say that to somebody you just met? That's really weird.
1: Wait, was that in the book or in the movie? That's in the movie. Oh, I'm trying to remember that. That sounds, that's some very um, negative self-talk because she's already relegating herself to this role of, well, obviously I'm playing second fiddle to Theo because she's so glamorous and I'm not. So it's already, she's starting these comparisons, which is unhealthy, girl. Not good
0: Theo and Eleanor they form this instant kind of friendship I think because both of them are scared to be in Hill House but also Theo just seems like one of those people who doesn't meet a stranger anywhere she goes so
1: one of the cool things about Theo is that she is if not the first one of the first portrayals of a lesbian in film it's heavily censored but at the time that it was produced it would have been almost blatant So that's something really neat about this movie is it does kind of fall into that bracket of history. There's a
0: lot of movies where things have been very lightly hinted at, where audiences would have gone... "Hmm." Or just not even noticed it. Right. Um, That's what a lot of the censors didn't notice and were able to get through things Mm -hmm. um, during the, the code period. They weren't trying to hush it up or
1: keep it quiet. It's like she... Because in the book, she's she's gay, correct? Yes. So they weren't trying to hide it. It was something that they wanted in the film. But the compromise they had to come to with the censors is that while she could be an, an out gay character, her and Eleanor couldn't touch. So they don't really touch a lot throughout the film. There are a few moments, but they had to be super selective with the moments that they did touch because there couldn't be too much that's your other fun fact of the day interesting you can be a lesbian but you can't touch other women on camera
0: where in the remake (coughs) Catherine Zeta-Jones character says something along the lines of my boyfriend thinks I have commitment issues but my girlfriend doesn't I thought
1: Theo says that too I thought that original Theo, Claire Bloom, says that. Doesn't she say something like that? I don't think so. Did I make that up? I think you made that up. <laughs> I thought she did. Because I thought, I was like, oh, so she was she was gay in the original version, and then they made her buy for the remake, which, you know, that's neither here nor there. I was just interested by that. But for some reason, I thought she also had a boyfriend and a girlfriend. But that wouldn't make sense if, she's, if she is gay. So I don't know.
0: Uh, Eleanor asks her, are you married? And she says, no. After a pause, but she (laughs) talks about... um, A marked pause, a pregnant pause, if you will. But she talks about their apartment, and they like to fix up old things. But she never says anything more than that. And Uh, then at one point, Eleanor calls her an abomination.
1: Yeah, that's not... No. But it does
0: confirm if anybody had been questioning
1: what was going on no because when I watched the movie for the first time I knew that coming in that Theo would be gay so I was obviously watching for that and trying to pick up on any subtle cues and I was like I need more it's like it's not clear enough for me but then she said the abomination line and still it wasn't clear enough for me but then I was like oh I guess that's their like solid confirmation in 1963 That Theo is gay. But I think that's a little um, fun history about her character because it was kind of revolutionary at the time. So Dr. Markaway and Luke show up. Luke is... He's the comic relief of this movie.
0: Yeah, he's the comic relief. Complete skeptic. They walk into the dining room and he's mixing a pitcher full of martinis and he says that that's what he majored in in college was making martinis.
1: So he's just a frat boy partier. Yeah. (laughs) Um... No, Russ Hamlet actually, when he was first approached for this film, didn't want to accept it. He initially turned it down because he didn't like that uh, Luke wasn't a believer. But I think it's safe to say by the end of this film, Luke is a believer. Because um, he does have a very, very important line at the end that kind of confirms all of that. But um, yeah, Luke is definitely, he's a skeptic. He isn't involved in this for any kind of scientific purposes. He's set to inherit the house. So he just kind of wants to go through with these people that he thinks are kind of weird and have a few
0: laughs. Well, the reason that he's sent there is his aunt rented the house to Dr. Markaway and she didn't trust them. So she wanted a representative from the family to be there and she thought Luke was kind of out of control. She also thought that he was a thief and would try to steal most of the stuff in the house. Mm. Um, But in the book it talks about how she misjudged him. But that's why he's there as a representative of the family to make sure, I guess, they don't break anything or do anything unethical. She was also worried about uh, Dr. Markaway being there without his wife and with women there. Scandalous. No hanky-panky going on in this ghost
1: house. No hanky of the panky nature. But, yeah, and he's also there just to have a few laughs because there's not very much that's serious about Luke
0: initially. He doesn't think that anything's going to happen. They're just going to hang out or... Whatever.
1: And I really like Russ Tamlin in this role, but it, it's like you get Owen Wilson in the remake. It's like you can't take this character seriously. Yeah, I just. He just walks around the house going, wow. <laughs> he
0: does. Wow. And it's just like, why are you here, Owen Luke's, Wilson? Or I was said Luke Wilson. Owen Wilson, why? And then he gets his
1: head cut off or something. Does he die in He dies. I've really, I think that was a traumatic experience that I have blocked. I think I've suppressed that. He's
0: standing in this giant fireplace where they find out that they burned all the kids or something. Right, right. And some giant thing, like, swings down and knocks his head off or something. Maybe his head doesn't come off. I don't know why <laughs> I think his head comes off. <laughs> wishful thinking in the movie but he dies maybe you wanted your head to come off so you didn't have to watch (laughs) it oh yeah by that point in the movie it was just so bad
1: have you watched it recently
0: no it was a few years ago
1: hey that's bad
0: maybe we should make up a drinking game
1: i don't want to watch that i because that used to come okay so you know how like movies would come on and they would play it over and over on tbs or tnt the haunting remake was one of those movies and it was literally on every day or, like, it felt like every day, a couple times a day. So anytime I turned on the damn TV, the haunting was on. So I ended up watching it, like, probably more than any person ever should. I'm okay. haunted by the haunting remake. Back on track. Where were we? Um, Russ had, Mar- or not Russ, that's his actor name. His character name is Luke. Luke's, is- Luke's mixing martinis. Dr. Markway's there without his wife, and that's bad. And Mrs. Dudley's probably, like, creeping somewhere lurking. Lurking somewhere Larkily. creepily, Larkily. <laughs> she's lurkily somewhere creepy. I'm really not doing great today, guys. Now, something interesting that um, Richard Johnson actually made an observation about Dr. Markway is that he is a scientist, and so he's there to conduct this experiment, and he's not really there as a friend or even as a fellow human, because sometimes scientists they have to disassociate, disconnect, to disprove or prove the hypothesis through their experiments. So some stuff that later goes down possibly could have been prevented if he hadn't been so fixated on the project and hadn't been so ruthlessly kind of possessed about, about it.
0: About... Finding out if this house is haunted or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And looked more at the people there as like, oh, this is affecting them. This
1: is a person with feelings and a life and a family and history. But no, it, it was a test subject to him. One interesting fact that because
0: they shot in England for tax purposes, mm-hmm. they had to hire a certain amount of British actors. So, Johnson um, was one of them. He was one of them. And then Claire Bloom. Who played Theo. Claire Bloom, who plays Theo, is also British. Yes. Um, So they had to hire, I think it was like half the cast had to be British. Well, since there's pretty much, what, six people, I guess they, I don't know if the Dudleys
1: were British or hoş- not. <gio>, the Because I tried to call them G- the Dursleys again. The Dudleys.
0: No. That's their theme song. Do you want
1: to know the difference between what America would give them and what England would give them? The American studio wanted to give them a million dollars. The British studio decided to give them 1.1 million dollars. Boom. Wow.
0: Move it to England, guys. We're getting that point one. Let's go. We also have a really interesting thing. They filmed using this rounded lens, and they mm-hmm. had to actually sign a waiver saying that they understood that the lens wasn't ready, that there was a flaw in it. And they did that to give the house this very um, warped,
1: distorted feeling.
0: Distorted, that's the word. Distorted feeling. And I mean, it is so effective.
1: Oh, and another really fun thing about filming that they did that was kind of cool. So the spiral staircase, when they do the shots of anyone walking up or walking down or hanging shots, mm-hmm. um, they actually fashioned a film rail on the railing of the staircase so they could get all those really cool shots that just like kept that was like a continuous shot. so the the cameras literally spiraling up the spiral staircase on the rail, while the actor's walking up.
0: Oh my gosh, Someone,
1: is... So someone's operating it, probably, like, walking backwards.
0: Wow. Yeah, because those are some really cool shots.
1: Yeah, so that's how they got them. Isn't that fun? It is. I love that. So we're having our first night
0: in Hill House, and they have a pleasant dinner, and then they're in their little parlor, which is the base of operations, and we find out that Theo is, Theo's pretty psychic. <laughs> I love the way you say it. it. feels pretty psychic. Well, she keeps winning at cards.
1: Oh, yeah. But also, Luke's an idiot. Well, there's that. I don't know that she has to be psychic. I think she's just probably smart enough that she could have. But she can pick up on what people
0: around her are feeling yeah. and tell them even if they're not sure of it themselves. Mm-hmm. So she has really high intuition. Is it at dinner or is it at breakfast when they talk about the poltergeist and eleanor i'm not sure when but that was the next part i wanted to talk about i think that might be at dinner okay so we find out Maybe. the reason that Eleanor's there is because when she was a child rocks rained down on her house for three days nobody else's house in the neighborhood just theirs and she says it never happened and dr markway says okay if you say so And then after a little while, she bursts out and says, Mother said that the neighbors did it. They were always against her because she wouldn't mix with them. What does that mean? It means that the mom thought she was too good to go associate with the neighbors, so she said that they threw rocks at the house constantly for three days.
1: Just logistically. Like, I get back then at that time period, like, a, a mom could say that to her kid. If I, try, I I, teach at a school. And so, if I told, tried to tell one of my kids that a person was throwing rocks constantly at their house for three days, they'd look at me and be like, yeah, right, Miss Lacey. Thank God's kid, kids have more common sense today.
0: There was a, obviously a lot of problems with Eleanor's mother, but I feel like maybe
1: some, like, psychological or emotional abuse of some sort. Well, her mom's a complete looming presence in her life. Yeah. Like, she's dead, but she's still... Takes a toll on Eleanor. Yeah, she...
0: Eleanor was her caretaker for 11 years. She never held a job. She didn't have any boyfriends. She didn't get to go out. One thing that she talks about is her hands are all messed up because her mother made her do all, I guess, the hand washing. Mm. Wash everything by hand. And she said, we could have afforded a laundress. And what the mother would do when she needed Eleanor was knock on the wall with her cane.
1: (gasps) That sounds familiar.
0: Just like Abigail Crane would do. That's kind of what I was alluding to. (laughs) And the night that Eleanor's mother died, she knocked on the wall to get her medicine, and Eleanor didn't go.
1: Because she was just tired and fed up, and she was like, you know what, she'll be fine this one time, I'm gonna sleep. And she died. She died. And now Eleanor, and I think that also plays into, like, why her mother's such a looming presence, because she feels this intense guilt. Feeling like she killed her mother.
0: And Theo even has a line where she says, I don't think you killed your mother. And Eleanor kind of snaps at her. So, Theo, psychic. I also love Theo because Eleanor tells them that her mother died and Dr. Markaway says, oh, I'm sorry. And Theo goes, well, you weren't when it happened, so I'm not going to say that I am now.
1: (laughs) I love Theo. I think she's my favorite character in the story. I think my favorite performance comes from Julie Harris, who plays Eleanor, but I think Theo's my favorite character.
0: I would agree with that 100%.
1: Like, she's kind of an anomaly in filmmaking at the time. Like, we talked about kind of with Les Diaboliques. It's like, she's a strong, empowered woman, and she doesn't carry around false pretenses. She says exactly what she thinks, and I, I love her for that very authentic
0: well this is another amazing movie with two strong female leads because they are obviously the leads yeah eleanor and theo are the main characters of this story and the house
1: <laughs> yeah i feel like the house is probably like no the house is definitely second fiddle to eleanor but so after we we move from that scene so that night things start happening right away
0: There's this loud knocking that wakes Eleanor up, and Theo calls to her, and she runs into her room. She's screaming. And the room is icy cold. You can see their breath, which nowadays, you know, they can do that digitally, but back then, I'm pretty sure they would have had to have actually made it cold in there to do that.
1: Something like that, yeah. I don't think that they had any kind of, anything to do afterwards that could have made that.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. So it's freezing cold in there, and there is... Like, somebody is pounding on the walls.
1: Pounding on the walls. And there's this voice that you can hear just echoing laughter.
0: And what woke Eleanor up was the banging, and she thought it was her mother knocking for her. Oh, so, like, she she was still at home. Like, her life
1: had never changed.
0: Oh. Yeah. Her and Theo are huddled in Theo's room. It's like somebody is going to burst the door down. And then the knocking stops. And the doorknob slowly starts to kind of turn. It is terrifying. And Eleanor had locked her door, even though she didn't really know why. Because who's going to break into Hill House in the middle of the
1: night? Well, yeah, it's like she had no reason early to lock her door, but still she's a guarded person. She's there with strangers. I I can see it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I probably would have, but that's me. Uh, well, it's like being at a hotel. And But Theo didn't lock her door. So they're afraid that this is gonna get in and it, then the banging starts again yeah and eleanor can't take it and she runs and bangs back on the door and screams at it and then she thinks it knows i'm here <laughs> and then it just stops
1: yeah is this when luke and dr Markway? yeah
0: luke and dr Markway come back in and they say that they were chasing a dog that oh yeah that dr Markway had seen a dog and he woke luke up and so they went out And whatever it was drew them out of the house. Mm -hmm. So, like in all good horror movies, divide and conquer.
1: Yeah, so it got them out of the house while it was terrorizing Theo and Eleanor.
0: We don't know that Dr. Markaway has any sort of... He never talks about if he's actually had an experience with anything or if he has any kind of premonitions.
1: So he might
0: not have any kind of psychic ability, and Luke doesn't.
1: Well, yeah. So I, I think he's purely there for scientific
0: purposes. I think he's just interested. Well, it's not like he had an experience and then that got him interested. Right. If it did, he never mentions that.
1: Right. That's kind of the excitement for the night. Things die down. <laughs> Sorry for the turn of phrase. but So things settle down for the night and everyone goes to sleep. The next day, they are exploring the house. Well,
0: let's talk breakfast. about breakfast
1: because there's
0: a real kind of flirtation going on between Eleanor and Dr. Markaway.
1: Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, like, Eleanor, like, right away was, like... Zoom in on him. Yeah, like, even before she met him, she was already kind of, like, fantasizing and, like, building him up almost an adulation.
0: Yeah, she does that in the book, too, because she talks about... Dr. Markaway's letters and his instructions and things like that. I
1: think she kind of sees him as her savior because he gets her out of, like, his invitation is what gets her out of that house.
0: She's been waiting for something to happen her entire life.
1: So now it's happening, and so she's, like, building this up, like, this is, like, Prince Charming. He's gonna, we're gonna fall in love. So I think that's kind of where her mind is at.
0: Theo comes in, is a little bit cold. Yeah, cold and distant says some kind of snotty things to her luke comes in they're talking about what they're afraid of and eleanor asks luke what he's afraid of and he says what i just saw in the hall and in the hallway written on the wall in great big letters in what we assume is chalk is help eleanor come home and so theo thinks that eleanor wrote it herself to get attention she would think that. <laughs> um, Eleanor thinks that Theo wrote it to scare her. And I don't know if Luke and Dr. Markaway have a thought as to or an opinion. how it happened. Yeah,
1: it's. I think Markaway is just kind of like, okay, another mystery, another...
0: Let's make notes about
1: it. Yeah, let's make notes about this. Is it, is it psychic phenomena? Is it paranormal? What is it? So Eleanor has a little bit
0: of a freak out and is screaming at Theo And Theo's just saying some snotty things to her. And Dr. Markaway goes, Eleanor, can't you see that she's just trying to get a rise out of you so that you won't be scared? I don't know if that's what Theo was
1: doing or not. She runs with it. Yeah, it works. (laughs) She's like, oh, yes. And she starts, like, her usual confident kind of swagger. Oh, yes, that's what I was doing. And Eleanor
0: calms down.
1: And that night, Theo moves into Eleanor's room.
0: Yeah, Dr. Markaway tells her that she do, he doesn't think that Eleanor should be alone so they he has Theo move into her room
1: end up sharing a room sharing a bed so they they're not censors are not okay with them touching too much but they can sleep in the same bed well, wasn't it kind of like two twin beds pushed together yeah it was there was definitely a split so you got a little bit of I love Lucy going <laughs> on there yes and that night oh yeah because Eleanor is scared and she asks Theo to hold her hand And she feels like it's being crushed. That's like she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's scared. And she hears this
0: child's voice. Like a
1: young girl crying. And she shouts at whatever is causing the child's pain to stop stop it. And Theo wakes up and turns on the light. And Eleanor realizes that she's not on the bed. She's on the couch. And she wasn't holding Theo's hand. Yeah.
0: Because Theo was in the bed. She's on the other side of the room from Theo.
1: Oh, that's so creepy. Like, that gives me, ooh, that just gave me a shiver in my whole body. But it's so effective. It's so, like, watching that, just watching it as someone that appreciates filmmaking now, it's so effective. And it's it, it's, it was made in, so long ago, but it's still so well done.
0: This movie is so scary, and you never actually see anything scary. Yeah. Like, there's no ghosts or demons that pop out of you, that pop out at you. Pop out of (laughs) you? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's not scary. Nothing pops out of you.
0: What, you don't (laughs) have that experience when you watch movies?
1: Yeah, oops. The bitch pops out. So they explore (laughs)
0: the House, and they go into the conservatory, and there's this great big giant statue that is supposed to be somebody healing the lepers but they say that it is the it's a family portrait. First they say oh the guy in the middle is old Hugh Crane and the one lady's the daughter and the one's the companion and then they say oh no it's a family portrait of us and uh, Theo has a joke where there's a dog in the statue and she says that Luke is the dog (laughs) and then they say oh the dog that you were chasing yeah, I like, Last night.
1: I like Theo and Luke's relationship because it's this very, like, teasing, playful relationship yeah. at times. I can't tell if she dislikes him. I think he's fun to play with. I-, I-, I think he's something to amuse her. They say that
0: old Ukraine has taken a liking to Eleanor and that she should ask him to dance. And so Luke is a bit of a jerk here and says, I bet she doesn't even know how to dance.
1: So mean to her. I don't know. It's like why. There's no reason to say like, that. I don't think they're trying to be mean. So maybe, but it's like why are they picking on her? It's like that's the easiest person to like pick on, and obviously she's not okay. Yeah, and you've known her like what less than forty eight hours. So she
0: asks him to dance, and she's dancing around the statue. Mm-hmm. And what I one thing that's interesting to me is in the book, it's Theo that does that.
1: Oh, well I guess it wouldn't make very much sense for what happens later if it was Theo. And they
0: continue to explore the house and they're going into the library and Eleanor physically cannot walk into the library. She says that there's a smell and she can't go in there. No nobody else has this- notices this smell. It's just Eleanor. And Theo says you smell the sick room smell.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: But nobody else notices this. And this is where this spiral staircase is. Not a very sturdy spiral staircase. It's just kind of like a metal thing that's loosely bolted to the wall with a platform up at the top. And that's where the companion hung herself. And Luke says when he inherits the house, he's going to turn that room into a nightclub and have dancing girls come down the stairs. And then he demonstrates, and this is when we see how precarious the staircase actually is.
1: Um, this is the day that Dr. Markwave's wife arrives, right? Yes. So that is actually kind of a big deal, because as we've said before, Eleanor has kind of built up this image and imagined relationship that her and Dr. Markwave share, kind of had these preconceived notions, if you will, not knowing he was married.
0: And Theo has told her, you're making a fool of yourself. And Eleanor says, but what if I'm not? And just as Theo's about to tell her that he's married, they get called in to the house for something.
1: So I think Theo knows. Or, yes. I mean, not think. Theo knows, is going to tell her, it just never comes up. And then the wife shows up.
0: Which, of course, dashes all of Eleanor's hopes. And the wife thinks that this is all a load of nonsense. She said there's... Press at their house because they found out that he rented Hill house, Hill house and that she wants him to come away and he says that he won't.
1: So she says, Okay, I'm staying.
0: And she says, I better see a ghost. What's the room? And wants to stay in the most haunted room in the house.
1: And the first one to chime in is Eleanor, and she goes, How about the nursery? And that really upsets Doctor Markway. He does not want his wife in the nursery at all. They
0: haven't been in the nursery yet.
1: Could They th- Yeah, could they, they don't even, have a key that's to That's what it. I was going to ask. I, I didn't even think they had a way to unlock it. No, the Dudleys have the key, and... That's the room with the big red door. Yes. Well, I mean, you don't know, because it's shot in black and white, but they talk about it being a red door.
0: And there's a cold spot in front of it. They all stood there, and you could literally see their breath, because it was so cold. And of course, Luke's going, it must be a draft. And Dr. Markaway says, have you felt any drafts in Hill House? dr markaway tells her well we can't get in the nursery there's no key and they walk up the stairs and the doors are open
1: that is so creepy it's like if my husband was a scientist and i went i'm like no i'm staying where's the haunted room i would not want to stay there if my husband is going no 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 you don't want to be in there i might listen to him i don't know their relationship though seems a little strained so maybe she's like oh yeah (laughs) Well, that's what you think. So she decides to stay in the nursery. And another super
0: creepy thing about this nursery is there is a painting that says suffer little children.
1: No, it's not just a painting. It's written on the border of the room and it's just suffer the little children, suffer the little children yeah. over and over. Which why is that in a nursery? What do they explain that? No, they don't. But they had found earlier this
0: book of Bible stories that hugh crane had given abigail and it was these really demonic and scary pictures saying like honor thy father and thy mother and it's a woman wrapped in snakes with a demon standing behind her and i'm just like just the thing every kid wants to see oh, before great. going to sleep yeah luke said he's gonna tear the pictures out and send him his christmas cards i like him he's fun
1: And he's very much relegated to his little supporting role. They don't try to, like, make it about Luke. But he's just kind of there to add something funny every now and then so it's not all, like, doom and gloom.
0: Yeah. They go to bed. It's decided that everybody else is going to stay in their little parlor center of operations because I guess they're like, we got to worry about Mrs. Markaway. We can't worry about everybody else, too. Yeah. So the girls are going to go to sleep and the guys are going to take shifts patrolling the house well luke in his fashion decides that it must be time for some alcoholic beverages because it's a party so he sneaks into the room and gets a drink and ends up waking everybody up and the banging starts again but they're like oh okay it's not near the nursery it's down here with us and then it moves through the house up to the nursery and the door's locked they can't get out
1: yeah, so they, they're trying to get... No, they're trying to get in the room, right?
0: No, they're trying to get out of the parlor so they can get upstairs to that's check on right. Mrs. Markaway. And Eleanor finds another door that's unlocked, and she sneaks out. And she ends up in the conservatory. This banging continues, and things are falling down around her, and she says the house is tearing itself apart. She's There's this this really amazing shot of her running up this main staircase Mm. but it's kind of rounded and she's far away and she's running towards you and it looks like the stairs just never end they just keep going they're on a loop going and it's
1: it's so distressing because you're like You could make it, but she just keeps running. Like she never, it's like it builds up your your anxiety a little bit because you want her to make it, but she's never quite there.
0: And so she gets up there and the doors to the nursery are open and there's nobody in there. Dr. Markaway comes in and he's going, where is she? Where is she? And Eleanor says, I don't know. There was nobody here when I got here. Mm. So they start searching the house and Eleanor is...
1: This whole time she is just deteriorating mentally
0: yeah she's just not with it anymore and she keeps talking about how the house wants her and she doesn't want to leave and all through these two days two and a half days that they've been there she just keeps talking about how happy she is even though she doesn't come across as happy at all
1: but she's like she has this weird she's scared and she's experiencing the same things that everyone else is but she almost has this Affection for the house. Yeah.
0: And she keeps talking about how she doesn't want to leave. She never wants to leave. I imagine part of that is because she doesn't want to go back to her sisters and she has no plan. And I'm sure what she's going to do with her life scares her, but also this house has a hold on her.
1: It's almost like someone finding their purpose. Yeah. Like she's like, oh, I've been living my life doing these things and I never thought about this, but here I am and I love it. And so she's almost happy to be in this haunted house experiencing these things because it's better than anything else that
0: she thinks she'd be doing and she keeps saying she's waited all her life for something like hill house to happen she's really upset now because she said that she's the one who's supposed to stay and mrs markaway is taking her place the house doesn't want mrs markaway it wants her
1: yeah i think she goes into the library
0: yeah so she goes into the library she can go in there now there's the smell is gone
1: yeah and she decides she's under this spell and almost trance-like yeah and she starts going up this dilapidated spiral sta- staircase. And this is, again, when you get one of those really cool shots um, that we were talking about earlier. So she's walking up this staircase, and it's really a, a tight shot of her. And she gets to the top, and it just, you feel, and I think this is one of the times that they're using that lens that you talk about. Because it feels like she is on the top of a skyscraper. She It feels like she is so far
0: up. And they're trying to get her to come down. Yeah. And so Dr. Markaway finally goes up after her, and she's leaning way over the edge of this platform like she's going to fall over. And so Dr. Markaway grabs her and pulls her back, and she kind of snaps out of it. And he says, we're going to go, and he turns his back, and this trap door in the roof opens, and... Grace Markaway sticks her head out and she's all dirty and her hair is flying away. It's
1: terrifying.
0: And Eleanor screams and she slams the trapdoor shut. So nobody saw her except for Eleanor. So they get her down and Eleanor's begging them not to send her away. And Dr. Markaway goes, no, no, I should have sent you away a long time ago.
1: Yeah, this is like the first time in the whole thing that he's really snapping out of it and going, okay, so we're in danger, especially this person. She's begging him, no, 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 no.
0: And they pack her up, get her dressed, put her in the car. And
1: Luke's going to ride with her. Yeah, Luke's going to go to make sure that she gets back to the city safely. But before he can get in the car, she drives off and starts speeding down the road towards the front gates. I'm not 100% sure what happens
0: because she's talking about how... The house doesn't want her to leave, and she doesn't want to leave, and then the wheel starts kind of swerving, like she can't control it. Yeah, she's
1: not in control of the wheel. And she's going, no, stop it, stop it. So, yeah, at first she's struggling to regain control, but then almost that spell comes back over and she kind of surrenders to whatever the force is that is trying to control the car, and she lets it take over.
0: Grace Markaway runs across the path in front of her, and the car slams into a tree.
1: Because she swerves to miss her. Or the car swerves to miss Grace, who appears out of nowhere, slams into a tree with Eleanor in it, and she's killed. Right. Instantly. And so they
0: all run over, and everybody saw something different. Theo said that she swerved to avoid hitting Mrs. Markaway and that it was an accident.
1: Luke feels that it seemed like Eleanor deliberately aimed the car at the tree like she was trying to kill herself.
0: Dr. Markaway thinks that there was something in the car with her that slammed the car into a tree.
1: And at this point, he notes that this is the same tree that killed uh, the first Mrs. Crane. And then that's when Theo says that Eleanor got what she wanted to remain at the house. Luke's character at this point, who's been kind of this funny guy this whole time he kind of gets serious at the end he, he's like the house should be burned and the ground should be salted so nothing can grow here and then we end with
0: where we started a shot of the house but Eleanor's voiceover saying that we who walk here walk alone and it's just like that is like the
1: creepiest ending yeah this movie does such a good job holding you captive because I have just Using myself as an example, because I don't have a very high attention span sometimes, especially with movies, if I'm not interested. If I'm not interested, I'm I'm out of it. But this movie was interesting, even though I knew what happened. It was interesting. It was captivating. I couldn't take my eyes off what was happening on the screen. I attribute that completely to the actors and the director for getting all of those kind of incredible shots. Everything about
0: this movie was... Done to the best—the filming, the set decorating, the outside of the house, the interiors, the costumes, the acting, the
1: script—it was kind of like what we were talking about. It can be a simple story because it is kind of a simple story if you think about it, but it's executed well. It is—it's—it's it's crafted. It's—it's—it's it's the craft of filmmaking at its finest, in my opinion, because. No stone is left unturned. Something really interesting. Did you know that Martin Scorsese rates this as the number one scariest movie of all time to him?
0: That's high praise from a director of that caliber.
1: And I was doing some research for this, as I've mentioned. Mm -hmm. But um, Harris, Julie Harris, kind of disagreed on the character of Eleanor with Robert Wise. She doesn't really say why. I I was listening to some interviews with her. She doesn't really say why necessarily but she just said that she had kind of a she kind of disagreed with the approach but she deferred to him and I felt that was really interesting because at first I'm like oh well that sucks that she feels like or she felt she couldn't speak up but then I'm like that's actually kind of perfect for the character because she's not one to speak up and speaking up is very hard for her and also I, I think I mentioned it before Julie Harris felt like she was in this state of depression at the time of this filming And she doesn't know what it was because she didn't feel it after or since. But during that filming, it just consumed her, this depression. And it actually led her to feeling really disconnected from the cast and crew. Because the other actors would go and get meals together and go to and from set together. And she very much was alone. She didn't participate in that. She also said something that was really interesting is the place where they shot was about half an hour from London, which is where all the cast was staying. And so it was like 30 minute drive, right? But when they were filming, it was early fall in London and there is this really thick fog. It's so thick, like you, you it can, the sun can be shining one minute, you can walk into another room and all of a sudden it's dark and you can't see the house next to you. And those were her words. So she said what would be a 30 minute car ride on a clear day which would turn into a four or five hour car ride on one of these foggy days because you couldn't see the road so imagine traveling in that kind of environment to a set working on this type of project it's like this had to take some kind of psychological toll and those roads in england some of them are tiny curvy i Windy. Mean, that would
0: have been just an anxiety ridden oh gosh that's making me tense thinking but about
1: also it. thinking about someone having depression i could i could absolutely see why someone would be depressed it, it was actually funny because Claire Bloom, who plays Theo, thought that Julie Harris didn't like her and would remark about it a lot, and she didn't really like that Julie Harris didn't like her because she didn't understand why. Cause she because everyone was pretty much they became a family. They did everything together except Julie Harris. So after filming, she went to Claire Bloom's house with this beautiful Victorian embellished beaded cushion and gave it to her and was like, I'm sorry that we weren't friends on set, but I didn't feel like we were friends, our characters were friends. And so, A, I felt I needed that disconnect, but also I was feeling all of these things. And so they actually made up and became friends afterwards. But the whole cast, besides Julie Harris, got along very well and did everything. Another
0: thing that stands out to me about this is the original draft of the screenplay wasn't a ghost story at all. It was all psychological.
1: Yeah, because Nelson Gidding, who wrote the screenplay, actually talks about this. He said that when he read it, he was kind of thinking, oh, this is actually about a woman having a nervous breakdown. He wasn't sure if he had it right, so he goes, let's... He told Robert Wise, he's like, let's go talk to...
0: Shirley Jackson. Yeah,
1: let's talk to her, because it's not worth doing if we're not going to do it right. Or if we don't have all all the information. So they went and talked to her, and they sat down, and he goes, let me ask you a question. Is... And he asked her if this was really about a woman having a nervous breakdown. And she goes, no, but that's a damn good idea. Then he took that idea that he had kind of taken away from it and incorporated it, uh, incorporated it in with Shirley Jackson's ghost story. So in the movie, I feel like
0: it's it can be up to the viewer as to whether this is all happening in Eleanor's head or it actually is haunting. I love
1: that story too because it just shows what, can be produced out of collaboration. Because Shirley Jackson was open to his takeaways. He wanted Shirley Jackson's input. It wasn't this competition of egos. They both were kind of willing to play with it a little bit. She was also fine with
0: the title change, because she had originally considered the haunting for the title, and I don't know why she settled on the haunting of Hill House, but she did, and they told her that they wanted a different title, and she said, oh, well, what about the haunting?"
1: Yeah, I think they did that also because there was The House on Haunted Hill. that The House on Haunted Hill, the movie. So they didn't want too much comparison so people would go see the wrong movie.
0: Yeah, because The House on Haunted Hill has absolutely nothing to do with The Haunting of Hill House.
1: Yeah, they just have hills and houses in the title. And hauntings. Hauntings and hills and houses, oh my. So if you were going to give this a score, Lara, what, what would be your final score for The Haunting? I would give it an A+. A-plus definitely for me. This is one I hadn't seen before researching it for this podcast, and I feel bad about that. I feel bad that I didn't want to see it because of the remake, because I remembered how bad it was. So I'm like, okay, let's sit down and watch this piece of crap. I don't know why I'm doing this. And I did, and I, th- I immediately felt remorse, because it it the, the remake does nothing for it. No justice is served.
0: The casting is pretty good, like, if you compare the original casting and the new casting, other than I think Luke Wilson,
1: he's... Luke Wilson tries. You know what? Let's not be too hard oh, no, on no, Owen Wilson. Oh, oops. Oopsie. One of the Wilsons. He plays Luke. His name's Owen. I don't want to be too hard on, on Owen because he is a Texas boy, but...
0: Oh, no, I like him in a lot no, of stuff. No, he had
1: no business in this. He, I, I want someone else in that. But the script was just. You know what's funny is I'm drawing so many parallels between this original and remake and the Les Diaboliques <gasps> original thing. and remake because it's like masterpiece films originally, shitty, shitty remakes with what should have been great casting. Yeah, like perfect casting. The look was good,
0: but that screenplay. And the interesting thing is to me for me is that the director of the remake actually directed a fair number of films that I really like. Who's that? Um, I don't remember his name but he directed Speed. Oh okay. And I I was looking up his work and there was a few other things that I was like oh I enjoy those movies.
1: That kind of well I was I was reading some trivia about that movie as well because (laughs) I like to get facts but they had a lot of creative team members leave because of differences. Um, so I'm just wondering if that vision wasn't very good or needed some help and they had some people there going, Hey, and there were some other people with egos going not willing to collaborate and that's what happened. That was the result. But a lot of times it's like when you have money like that involved in a film, there will be fear attached or stress-attached because it's like, oh, well, I've spent all this money. It has to be good. It has to be good. I'm not willing to take a chance because it has to be good.
0: And then that's usually when they end up not being good.
1: Yeah. Any any decisions based on fear are never in your best interest. And I could see that being very well what happened with the remake of The Haunting.
0: Just a note about Rotten Tomato scores. We usually talk about them here, but they're not the end-all, be-all for everything.
1: Do you want to know something really funny? What? So I was doing some research for this film, and I just happened to stumble on this little website called IMDB. And I was looking at the meta score for the the original film and the remake which was made in 1999 it's staggering the difference uh the first film has a 74 rating or 74 point rating i'm not sure it's the score and then the second the remake has a score of 42
0: that's interesting the the rotten tomato score is 87% for the original and 16% for the remake dang that's worse now what i want to say about this is i thought this remake was way worse than some other remakes that i've seen i recently watched when a stranger calls the original and the remake the remake for when a stranger calls had a six percent score on rotten tomatoes and i thought that was a better remake than the haunting remake was
1: i'm trying to remember because I can't see a reason to disagree with you. The haunting, the only reason I saw that was because of Catherine Zeta-Jones, but even then, not realizing, because I was in my teens when I saw it. I was 11 when the film came out. Even then, I knew that was bad.
0: The remake is pretty bad, but it starts off really good, very creepy in the beginning, and the set design is really good. Roger E. Roger Ebert even has good things to say about it. And he's the movie critic.
1: I mean, it's it did start off well. They really started building the story. And I was really excited to see where it was going to go. But that ending. Oh, it was bad. Oof. You can't. It, I, I forget how good the beginning was because of how bad the end was. Yeah, Because I remember being interested. I'm like, ooh, what's happening? Where is she going? Why are these statues, like, talking to her? But then the statues start moving and, like flying around and it's and I'm lost I'm out what's unseen is always scarier than what's seen agree so do you have a recommendation I do and staying on the theme of The Haunting at Hill House there is a brand new series on Netflix it just premiered maybe a day ago I have one episode left this series by far is one of the best television shows I have ever ever seen the writing is phenomenal and because it's such a phenomenally phenomenally written script everything else falls together and the casting is great Mike Flanagan who directed Oculus actually directs this and a lot of people he works with are utilized throughout the film and it's a completely different story it utilizes the same names like I said before but It is so good. It's actually about a family in the 80s. They move into Hill House because they're house flippers, So they buy it for a very low price. The Dudleys are there. So the Dudleys are still there in their same roles, but they're younger. And they're kind of there as caretakers, watching over them, whatever. And the family's in the process of flipping this house. So it's a mom, a dad, and five kids. And just stuff starts happening. I'm not going to give too much away, but all I'm going to say is you go up into the future and you have a dad and five kids. They don't, the dad doesn't really talk to the kids and they were all very close. Now the dad doesn't talk to the, really talk to the kids. He's very disconnected. The siblings all have their own issues. One's a drug addict. One is, has sleep paralysis and depression. And there's just a variety of issues that are going through this family. And it's, it's a play, or not a play, it it speaks to the effects of mental illness, but also this, this house haunts them. And there's actually the way that it, the dad talks about it, he said, we're a meal that the house didn't get to finish. So it follows them throughout their life. It is so scary. But I can't tell you how good it is.
0: There's a line that Eleanor has in the original one and in the book where she says that she's a creature that the house has swallowed and it can feel her moving around inside
1: it. Oh my god, and when you see, because the character that plays Eleanor, they call her Nell or Nellie, like, and her, her her I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because it, this, that, her story in particular, because I finished her, one of her episodes last night, and it, it kept me up. It kept me up. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had to make sure my husband was next to me and it wasn't a ghost touching me.
0: Well, I love Oculus. It was the first horror movie I watched where I went, wow, horror movies can actually be good.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this carries that through. This, this is some of the best television work I've ever seen. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm scared and excited. Um, Yeah, you should, both are, both are good. Like you're going to, you're not going to be able to stop watching partly because it's so good and partly because you know, if you do, you're going to be sitting there with your thoughts. And that's almost scarier. It's a 10 part series, and you binged it in a day? We almost watched the whole thing last night, and then we watched three this morning. Okay, then. (laughs) I'm
0: fine. Depending on what kind of media you want, I have two. If you're looking for a movie, watch The Innocence. It is a black and white movie. Is it a ghost? Is it not a ghost? Strong lead female character. Deborah Kerr, right? Yes. It's based on the book The Turn of the Screw, but that's written by a dude, so that's why I'm not recommending the book. Plus, I haven't read it. If you want a book, read The Woman in Black by Susan Hill.
1: A Hill, again? What's with all these hills? Yeah. And scary stories?
0: No. The movie starring Daniel Radcliffe was, you know, okay, but... The, it, was a, it was all right. But the book the book is good.
1: Have you seen the play? I've read the play. Oh I want to see that.
0: The Haunting of Hill House is also adapted into a play.
1: But I need that script. I need that.
0: Um, She didn't have anything to do with the adaptation. Who wrote it? Was it a woman? No it was a dude. (laughs) Sorry man. So those are my recommendations if you're interested in a book or a movie. We don't really have a clue for our next
1: episode because we're still deciding what that's going to be yes yeah, so make sure to tune in next time we release new episodes every other week and see what we will be picking so in lieu of a person of interest we're going to use this spot to talk about uh where you can find our podcast so we
0: are on itunes google play and spotify Make sure to check out our Facebook page. We post things all the time about stuff that we're reading and it's a place
1: where we can engage with all of y'all. Yeah. So come talk to us and tell us about what scares you or what women inspire you that are in film that are making good film. We always want to know about that. Make sure to rate the podcast. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe. We definitely want to keep doing our person of interest spot. That's really fun for us. And We want to know what you guys think, so make sure to let us know. Happy Halloween to everyone. Hope you stay safe from all the ghost ghoulies and things that go bump in the night. And if you're too old to go trick-or-treating, then go buy yourself a bag of candy. I was literally about to say that. Just do that yourself. Or you know what? Buy it. Make someone stand at your door, you knock on it, and then they give it all to you. That's like one-stop shopping. Ooh, I like that. Fun. Or just say trick-or-treat when you're pulling the bags off the the shelves. Just be like, trick-or-treat. Thanks. Trick or treat. Or when the kids come to your door, you take candy from them. Ooh, twist. I like it. Okay, everybody say bye. 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 Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Fems. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Have a suggestion or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at Podcast at chemo.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.